Well, good evening, all. It is good to see you here. I'm glad on a holiday weekend that you guys are here because it would have been awfully lonely in here. So Psalm 119. Are you all enjoying the Psalm 119 study? I, uh, I was talking with uh, Bo at lunch, and um, I asked him if he preached through books of the Bible there in Portugal, and he does. And we were talking about how, I don't know, it would be terrifying to have to come up with something new every week to preach to somebody. And it's much better to just stand up here and say, okay, this is what the Bible says here. And then next week we're going to be in this section. And next week we're going to be in this section. And I love it. Let's look at it. Psalm 119, we'll start reading in verse 49. Remember the word unto thy servant, which thou hast caused me to hope. Remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. The proud have had me greatly in derision, yet have I not declined from thy law. I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night and have kept thy law. This I had because I kept thy precepts. Lord, help us now as we study this passage. And Lord, this morning it was, um, it was really amazing to look at uh, how we are to find comfort through your word. So Father, help us tonight as we learn some more. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look at verse 53. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. There's a passage like that. In the New Testament, it says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. There's another passage that says it is an awful thing to fall into the hands of, uh, what is it, uh, holy God? Of the living God. Um, Those things are all very real. The world has changed so much. How many of you are over 50 years old? You're over 50 years old. Okay, good, a good number of the folks here. Laura, you're getting close. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. She's, what, six years older than you, uh, Wade? Oh, months. Months. Sorry. So, I really feel like it's, it's our generation, those 50 years and older, that have seen this change so drastically. It, the, the world is so different. So in 1974, I think it was, my father started the Faith Baptist Church in Wallingford, Connecticut. And um, very Roman Catholic area, of course, Connecticut. And so the neighbors across the street were having a get-together. So they invited our family over, and it was a good opportunity to meet the, the neighbors. And the, the man said, a man sitting there said, so what do you do, Bob? He said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. We're starting a church here, Faith Baptist Church. And he said, oh, really? And I watched the guy take his foot and push his beer can back under the chair. Because when you were around the preacher... 
the whole world knew that there were certain behaviors that, that were expected. That now, you know, evangelicals will say, hey, let's brew a beer and have a Bible study. It's the, the world has changed so drastically. And I think one of the things that that is doing to us, so this morning I preached about them and how the, the you know, we, we find comfort in the fact that God is going to judge these people. But I, I want you to notice this passage again. Notice what it says in verse 53. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. So remember, these are the people that have that hold him in derision. Uh, these are the people that are trying to get him to decline from the law. But rather than those people influencing him, he knows where they're going. He knows what their future is. And the way the verse reads is, horror hath taken hold upon me. And and I, I know that it's been a while. So I remember hearing preachers say this, that, that as I'm growing up, that they don't hear sermons on hell anymore. And possibly because of the texts that I've been preaching, it hasn't really dealt with hell a whole lot. We've talked about the coming judgment of the world, but actually preaching on on hell and what hell looks like, it feels like, I don't know, that that doesn't really fit into the Christian conversation much anymore. Would y'all, How many of you would agree with that? It's, it's all about the love of God. It's all about having a relationship with God, and it's all about not being judged and being welcomed. Well, hold your place here in Psalm 119 and go to Mark chapter 9. And I'm sure most of you know this, that Jesus actually spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. How many of you did not know that? that you, how many of you did not know that Jesus actually spoke when he was here on earth, he spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. How many of you did not know that? And it's a very interesting thing. Look at So look at Mark chapter 9 with me. And the Bible says in verse 38, And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followed, followeth not us. And we forbade him, because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can speak lightly or that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. Now, I know that, that the Matthew uh, section or the Matthew version of that is very well known to us. But look at the context of this. Verse 43. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. Now, how many of you think that that's a pretty bold statement? Now, of course, self-mutilation is a part of paganism. And, you know, you, you understand that there's a whole culture of that now, right? People brand themselves and they're, they're doing... This, all these, these mutilations, that's not what Christ is talking about. Look at what it says. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, <clears throat> into the fire that 
uh, never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. I, I know that I've told you, but I'll just remind you that uh, my sister had been talking to me about this preacher, James McDonald, and that uh, I need to listen to him. So we were on vacation in Florida, flipping through the radio, and uh, there's James McDonald starting to preach. So I, I put it on. And the first thing that he starts talking about is, well, we don't know that hell really has fire. And, of course, that was Billy Graham's position. Um, how many of you actually believe? How many of you rubes, you unenlightened, silly, superstitious people, believe that hell has fire? Why would you believe that? What's wrong with you people? Jesus just repeated it. What's repetition in the Bible? Well, Jesus makes it very clear, verse 46, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. That, imagine that sermon. Where the, worm, where, where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. Where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. Where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. Comfort yourselves. Is that what Jesus just said? You see, this the, the concept that I've preached over the last two weeks, it, I know that it seems very foreign to some people, but the righteous judgment of God, the righteous judgment of God brings glory to God. Why do the heathen rage? Why? Do the heathen rage? Well, God is going to stop that eventually. But remember, when he stops it, no one can then get saved. That's why the heathen are allowed to rage. It's because of the grace and mercy of God. And the fact of hell, the fact of hell, look at Luke chapter 16. It ought to move us. Verse 19. Now sometimes people call this the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. There's no parable here. Verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. 
And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now, that idea of just him dipping his finger in water and, and touching him. Remember, he was a leper. Right? This is, that's how bad hell was. He was willing to have a leper put his finger in his mouth just to get one little bit of water. And notice what it says. For I am tormented in this what? In this flame. And here's the thing, young people, that you need to remember. He's still there. He still has not had that drop of water. And he is still being tormented in that flame. Um, anyone here ever been burned? Right? It's horrible. It's horrible. And not only that, but it, it's called the bottomless pit. And so not only is it flame, but you're falling. And then it's called darkness, the blackness of darkness forever. Um, I, I just heard this saying just recently. I know you've heard it. Something about you go to heaven for the environment and you go to hell for the company. That's someone that doesn't understand the horror. The horror. And what's going to happen in hell is the remembrance of sin. The, the, they're going to be continually reminded of their opportunity to come to Christ. Their opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ. Their opportunity to bow their knee and humble themselves before the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to be continually reminded of that through all eternity. Throughout all eternity. I'm sure, Chad, you've seen people horribly burned in your line of work. To see that and to understand that for those people, if they're not saved, those people who die horribly in a fire, that that's the best their existence will ever be. That's when, when Jacob got saved. He and Laura were having a conversation about uh, Stephen Hawking and just Hawking's miserable life with ALS and all that he went through. And I think, I think Laura said something like this. This is the best that his life will ever be. This is, he's going to die and there's no relief. Death has no relief for a lost person. See, when a believer is suffering horribly in this body, death brings peace, breath, death brings rest, and eventually a new body. Eventually a resurrected body that can no longer sin and can no longer suffer pain. Praise God for that. For the lost person, do you know what they have to face? Horror. For all eternity. Horror. And folks, when we look at the wickedness of the world, we can end up with a compound mentality. A, a monastic understanding where we're going to wall ourselves in let's all move to wyoming or montana and build a compound and buy a bunch of guns 
and, you know, each of us build an underground shelter. How does that fit in? See a bunch of, I see a bunch of you, you're grinning because that's what you're going to, that's what you want to do. I understand. I get it. Some of you just want to get away from your wives, but that's a completely different conversation. It's an interesting thing that that's, I don't know, when you get so sick of the world and the craziness of it, there, there is a real desire to do that. But remember, when Jesus in John 17 prayed, he said, I pray not that you'll take them out of this world, but that you'll keep them. You'll preserve them in it so that we can be that preservative uh, element in the culture. See, we saw this morning how we can get comfort from the fact that hell is a real place. And how many of you have ever felt this way? I hope that person doesn't get saved so that they can receive that, that judgment forever. Who'd be honest enough to say that you've actually prayed that? I'm just telling you. Can I give you an example of God's attitude? Look at Proverbs chapter 2. Remember, in our um, Sunday school class, we've talked about, you know, Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Um, the kings of the earth rise up and say, let us remove the bands. They want to, any of God's righteous statutes, they want them removed. And the Bible says about God, he that sits in the heavens shall laugh. He shall have them in derision. These people don't bother God. I just saw a text, a tweet from a preacher. You know, I'm in that, that tweet thing with Dalton and Adam Pierce and Adam and James Wiley and all these guys, Nathan Browning. And one of them showed this fundamentalist pastor that asked, have you disappointed God? Are you disappointing the Savior that, you know, and the idea was, is God concerned about you and what you're going to do? Can he trust you? As if God doesn't know what you're going to do. I know, guys, that guy's an idiot. How many of you think God knows what you're going to do? He already knows. Remember, God can't be disappointed in you because he has no expectation. He knows exactly what you're going to do, and he still loves you, and he still has grace. This, but this idea that, that we are bothering God, no, God is making us an offer. And he loves us, and that's his desire for us. But if a man is a fool, the young person is a fool, if a lady is a fool, that doesn't break God's heart. Look at Proverbs chapter 2, verse 22, or verse 20. Wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city, she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? Remember, the simple one is the person who doesn't know. Uh, on our Baptist history tour, you know, we have some guys that, that early on they were messed up on, you know, do we get our authority to baptize from Jesus or do we get our authority to baptize from John? What's the answer? Jesus. Okay? And so this one preacher kept asking this other preacher to take a stand on it. And the guy kept saying, well, I've not studied that. I've not studied that. Finally, this other preacher looked at him and said, how long are you going to stay stuck on stupid? Simple. How long will you simple ones love simplicity? Then look at what it says. 
And the scorners delight in their scorning, just mocking and, and the, no, refuses to hear truth. <clears throat> and then, and fools hate knowledge. Remember, a fool is one who refuses instruction. Look at what it says in verse 23. Verse 23, turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you, and I will make known my words unto you. Now, notice what it says. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But you have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me. But I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge... And did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way. And be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them. And the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely. And shall be quiet from fear of evil. It's interesting. Back to Psalm 119. Verse 53, horror hath taken hold on me. Look at, because of the wicked that forsake thy law. See, for you and me, especially looking back through the eyes of the Apostle Paul, consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. I don't have to look at my uh, face-to-face with God in horror because my sins are forgiven. But the lost people that I know, they need to look back or to look forward. And we need to understand the horror of what faces them. So what do we do about that? We give them the gospel. Understanding that horror, we have to overcome our own reluctance. We have to be willing to lose the friendship. We have to be willing to offend the person. Not by being ugly to them, but by graciously telling them about the grace and love and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Recognizing that horror. Look at verse 54. Thy, now notice again, not thy promises. Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Why? So when God says, husbands love your wives. When it says, thou shalt not commit adultery. When the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. When the Bible says, thou shalt not bear false witness. You know, those are statutes. Those are, those are, those are laws that are inviolable in order for us to have peace with God and happiness and well-being in this world. And so when I understand the horror that that awaits the lost, well, then my example and my testimony, that's why those statutes become my songs in the house of, how does it say it? In the, yes, in the house of my pilgrimage. Now, remember, it's a pilgrimage. We're not staying here. This is all going to burn. It's all going away. Uh, my dad would tell the story of a guy that he had a whole, whole lot of gold. And he found a way to take his gold with him to heaven. And he got to the gate and Peter said, what would you bring all that pavement for? <laughs> Completely theologically incorrect, but it's a funny story. 
remember, it's the new Jerusalem that has the streets of gold. Heaven does not have streets of gold. Okay. Every gospel song that says that is just somebody that's actually never read the Bible. So it, it, this, um, this understanding that my house, it's the house of my pilgrimage, the or it could be talking about his body, the house of this pilgrimage, as we're, we're just passing through this life. In the Bible, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, it, it talks about our tabernacle. And remember, a tabernacle is not a fixed place. It's something that, that moves through, and that's what, that's what our body is. It's a tabernacle. And as a saved person, it's the, it's the, the tabernacle of the Holy Ghost. The, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Amen? And we understand that if, if, we, really, if we really have the horror... If, if we recognize how awful sin is, then we can sing. We can sing about God's statutes because they're here to help us and they're here to protect us. Look at the next verse. I love this, verse 55. I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night and have kept thy law. You know, it's a precious thing to wake up in the, in the middle of the night. And it's funny again, those of us over 50, how many of you wake up a lot more than you used to? You watch kids sleep, you know, and they, they can sleep upside down, you know, with their face underwater. <laughs> these, these guys, they come back from camp, they are gone. They just, they can just sleep. And sometimes I look at the, and I say, boy, oh, to sleep like that just once again. And usually you have to have surgery to sleep like that, right? You all know what I'm talking about. But as you get older, and I'm not old, don't worry, I'm not going to start talking about like, you know, when I was a young man. But I, as I get older and I wake up at night, it's a really precious thing to remember the Lord's name in those moments. God will bring your child to your mind and you pray for them or a family member or someone that's ill. And just that sweetness, and the Bible talks about that, that I remember God upon my night watches. And you're just, you're just praying to God, and he becomes more and more special. That, notice that, that remember is the theme of this text. Verse 55, I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night, and have kept thy law. You know, there, there are different ways that you can look at that in the way that I was just speaking of. But also, how many of you know that nothing good happens after 10 o'clock? Right? Young people remember the Lord's name in the night. Go home. If you're in a situation, you're at night. If folks, you're up late at night and you've got, you're alone with the television. That's probably a really good time to turn it off. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Amen. Amen. Especially if you're on the shopping channel. Just... Remember the Lord. Does the shopping channel still exist? Is it is still, still a thing? Okay. What's that? It's the devil. Sounds like I have some counseling to do here in this family. I'm not sure. But remember the Lord in the night. You could preach a whole sermon on this, just different thoughts that come from it. In the nighttime of your life, remember the Lord. It's, it's such a wonderful thing. I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night, but look, and have kept thy law. This I had because I kept thy precepts. What are the precepts? Those are those commands, those statutes, those portions of Scripture that we are to teach to others. He had been taught, and so he kept them. Why? Because he remembered the Lord, and he asked the Lord to remember his word. 
Remember. Remember the horror that faces the lost. Remember the the comfort that comes from God's judgments. Remember the Lord in the night. And then have the joy of keeping his precepts. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study it. And Lord, help us to remember that salvation is real, that heaven is real, that hell is real, and help us to be able to look at our loved ones in love and not in horror.